0: For joining Time Out with PSOA, where sports officials share their stories to help recruit, train, educate not only sports officials, but players, coaches, administrators, and fans. Through this information, we're going to help make us all better for the game. Thank you for taking time out with PSOA. Back again with our podcast is Andrew Fulton. We had such a great time talking about catches and strikes and got our minds thinking a lot about as an umpire, the myths that people think they know the rules. But what are the rules? You know, as an active official, there's two things that scare me the most. The first one is having a partner who read the rule book one time. You know, you read the rule book one time, you're like, "Oh, I know the rules." No, you don't. Never stop reading the rule book multiple times. Then the other one that scares me the most is a coach that knows the rules better than me as an umpire. So Andrew, welcome back to Time Out with PSOA. And last time we had you introduce yourself as a sports official. Now let's go back into history. Introduce yourself as Coach Fulton.
1: You know, along with my adventures as a as a sports official. And, uh, you know, a baseball umpire for for 25 years now. I spent uh, a a nice little four-year stint as a high school baseball coach in Malcolm, Nebraska. And so uh, I I coached the Legion baseball team there for for four years. And it was uh, four of the most educational years for me um, as a coach and as a sports official. Um, I also coached wrestling uh, at Wilbur Claytonia High School. Uh, way back in the day uh, for a few years but uh, so I've had a, a a little bit of experience in the coaching realm as well so that's kind of my experience in the coaching realm but it, it mirrors and, and has definitely affected my uh, my experience and my, my viewpoint, my insights and my philosophies as a, as a sports official too.
0: All right so this is how this podcast is, is going to go. Um, we're going to share a short story shall we say a case play that happens in in baseball and I'm going to be the coach coming out on Andrew and maybe even later on Andrew will be coming to me as a coach Um, so the first myth of baseball that we're going to try to bust today is the hands are part of the bat so here's the situation Andrew we got bases loaded bottom of the seventh inning we got two outs batter swings the pitch ball goes off of the batter's hand back to the pitcher the pitcher overthrows the first baseman and two runs score what are you going to do as an umpire
1: well there's a this is this is uh this involves a couple of different rules um but the, but the biggest one is is when does the ball become dead so in the rule the rule book all three levels, high school, college, and professional baseball, um, all say the same exact thing. The ball becomes dead when a pitched ball touches a player or a player's jersey. That's what it says. A pitched ball becomes dead as soon as it touches a player or a player's jersey, or a, a batter or a batter's jersey. I'm sorry, not a player, a batter or a batter's jersey or equipment. So... It's, that seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it, Sean? Seems pretty straightforward to me.
0: Depends on which team I'm coaching.
1: Well, the rule itself is very straightforward. The ball becomes dead. Ball, when a pitched ball hits or touches a, pl- a hitter or the hitter's equipment or jersey. So, according to the statement you just made, looks like uh, the ball's dead as soon as it hits his hand, Right. So we can't have an overthrow. We can't have anything else happen at that point in time. So that the, that's the part of the, the rule that really comes into play here. You always hear people say, well, the hands are part of the bat. Sean, when you take a bat, if you hold it with two hands, straight out in front of your body, if you open your hands, does that bat fall to the ground? Yes, sir. That doesn't look like the bat, hands are part of the bat to me. And that, you know
0: what I always tell coaches: Hey, coach, when that bat was purchased, did it come with a pair, pair of hands? And the answer yeah. is no. Right, yeah.
1: So. Well, I'm just gonna say um, I probably wouldn't be that much of a smart aleck. I, uh, you know, try to keep things down the middle, Sean. <laughs> so, uh, but the biggest thing is is this 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 myth um, comes into play a few times. Um, so, to, if you put it a different way um you know a a guy swings and misses but the ball it's such a bad pitch and such a bad swing the pitch hits him in the leg um that ball's dead too right so we have a dead ball the second part of that uh that rule applies now too the second part of the rule that, that goes in is is whether or not the pitch is a strike or not is it a swing or is it not a swing if they swing through and we, have a, and we have a full swing, it's obviously a strike. It's a dead ball. It's what we call a dead ball strike. So the umpire would call timeout say that's a strike. Now what's really crazy, what really doesn't make people, you know, people don't understand this part of the rule is that a, a dead ball strike is not the same thing as a foul ball, right? So if it's strike three, it's strike three and the, and the batter's out at that point in time. So if I swing and the pitch hits me, it's what we call a dead ball strike. It's not a foul ball. Um. Even if it's off my hands, so where you see the most tension with this with this play right here is probably on the pitch that's kind of up and in, and we've got a check swing or a half swing, and the pitch is up and in, and it's either off the knob of the bat or it's off the hitter's hand. We see this all the time, right? Um, in Major League Baseball, it's it's actually a play that happens a lot because these hitters are getting ready to swing. That pitch is coming in at 95 miles an hour. They have to be prepared to hit it. It may break. We start our swing. We stop. Um, and the ball hits in that situation around the knob of the bat and the hand. So um, as the umpire, we have to determine whether the ball hit the hand, whether it hit the knob, uh, and whether or not the, the hitter swung at the pitch. So uh, timing in those situations, giving yourself the opportunity to process all the information and not getting in a hurry. Um will save us a lot. Uh, hitters give us a lot of information on their own without uh, without even really meaning to. They start shaking their hand right away. It seems like they uh, probably got hit in the hand to me. Um, and then the only other question at that point in time is whether or not the, the hitter swung at the pitch and whether we have a dead ball strike or whether we have a hit by pitch, we're going to get the, the hitter first base. So hands are not part of the bat. Um, if it does hit the hands or any part of the hitter, and the hitter swung at the pitch. It's a dead ball strike, which can be strike three.
0: Baseball myth number one, busted. Second one, we're going to stay on with, with that batter. So here's the situation. In, in the third inning, runner stealing, batter swings. It goes off the bat into the fence. The umpire calls time, foul ball, sends a runner back. Fifth inning, batter swings, goes off that bat, sharpened directly into the catcher, and the runner is now allowed to stay at second base. Andrew,
1: the runner can't advance on a foul ball. And my response to that, Sean, every time is you are absolutely correct. And why I say that is because that's not a foul ball. So there's two different definitions that we're dealing with here. The the foul ball situation is anytime a hitter makes contact with the baseball with his bat, and the ball does not go into fair territory, or it uh, does not is not secured by the catcher. So if the ball goes straight from the bat, sharp and direct to the catcher, and the catcher secures it, then that is what we call a foul tip, and the ball by rule at all three levels, OBR. Federation NCAA by rule the ball be, remains alive and in play um, at every level. So you see this all the time. They they foul tip it to the catcher and he throws the guy out at second base and that guy's still out at second base. The ball remains alive and in play if it's what we call a foul tip. Um, if it's a foul ball, meaning the catcher does not maintain firm and secure possession and and it doesn't go sh- or it doesn't go sharp and direct to the catcher. Um, then we have a foul ball in those situations, and then the runners have to go back. So that's, that's a pretty simple one, but especially at the lower levels, you're going to run into this uh, where people don't necessarily know that rule or you have people in the stands who get people going. Uh, you know, one dad says something stupid uh, and then, you know, that herd mentality pops in and, and everybody's on you at that point in time. The biggest thing is just to, to know the difference of the definition of a foul ball versus a foul tip.
0: Very good. Going to get to myth number three here. Runner on second base, stealing third, and the batter, being a very kind citizen, simply ducks, lowers down, so that catcher can make that throw to third base, and boom, by that batter ducking, it goes off the batter's helmet, or the catcher contacts the batter, or that ball goes off the bat, and the coach goes, my batter is in the
1: batter's box. They're protected. What do you got? Well, so there's a couple of things here. The the coach isn't necessarily wrong, right? The batter does have a lot more protection in the batter's box um, than he does, he or she does, outside of the batter's box. Would you agree with that, Sean?
0: I, agree. I would agree with that.
1: Yeah. So, biggest thing is, is that if the batter, the rule says this at at every level too. If the batter makes an action that hinders or impedes the catcher, the batter is not completely entitled to do whatever he or she wants to do in that batter's box. And this is at both softball and baseball. Um, The batter is not allowed to to do anything that impedes or hinders the catcher. Meaning that if the batter stands there, and does nothing, and the catcher throws the ball into the into the hitter's helmet, we've got nothing, Sean. We've got nothing, right? The, the, the batter can't simply disappear. You know, they're not allowed, they're not, they're, they're not, uh, you know, shapeshifters. They can't just disappear. But if the hitter takes a step or moves into a, run, a throwing lane or moves into a position that hinders or impedes the catcher, um, from throwing the ball to third base, then we have interference. The biggest thing is, simply being in the batter's box does not, does not, give you carte blanche to do whatever you want to. If you are in the batter's box and don't move, you're pretty well protected in those situations. But the biggest thing is, even, and you see this all the time. They'll take a step backward because they think that they they think the catcher's going to come up and throw in front, and the catcher's actually coming up to throw behind and they take a step backward, and it's in the throwing lane of that catcher, now we've got interference.
0: And and coaches out there, um, listen to this podcast. That's what we try to teach coaches to educate their players. When your batter or when your runner's stealing third base and that batter's not swinging at a pitch, don't move. Let that catcher move around your batter as a stationary batter. It leaves all judgment out of the umpire's decision-making of, did that movement impede or not. Next one that comes up, caught third strike. We got a one-two pitch coming in. Batter. Sean, he caught it clean. He caught it clean. Yeah, he caught it clean. It, right off the dirt, caught
1: it clean. that That's an out. That's an out.
0: What do you got, Andrew?
1: So, well, there's a couple things. Drop third strikes, um, anytime we have runners, anytime we have a runner on first base with less than two outs. Um, the drop third strike is, doesn't matter, right? So it's only when, we, when first base is unoccupied or we have two outs that we're going to have a drop third strike situation. The catcher, in order to avoid a drop third strike situation, has to, has to secure the baseball before it touching the ground. Simple as that. That's the rule. He has to secure the baseball before the baseball touches the ground. So whether he catches it clean off the dirt or off the turf... That doesn't matter. If it touches the ground before the catcher secures it, um, it's a draw third strike situation. Um, so with the first base unoccupied or with two outs, um, they would be forced to, to try to put out the runner. The runner's not put out yet until uh, they retire the runner before the runner gets to first base. Or if there's a forced situ- situation, stepping on home plate with two outs. Right. Those so, are the only options.
0: So for that pitch ball to be caught, It must be caught before it hits the dirt.
1: It must be secured, yes.
0: Next one that comes up, and this doesn't quite come up as often, but we see it entering the game as we see it played out on television. We have runners on first and second or bases loaded. We have a bunt that goes high up into the air. And the fielders allow the ball to hit the ground. And that coach is like, we want an infield fly. Wait, well, No, no, they intentionally dropped that ball. What do you have in this situation? Well, those are
1: two different things, Sean. Those are two different things. But I'm a coach. Yep. I want my team to win. Well, you need to make a decision. Which one are we arguing? Did they, did they intentionally drop the ball or is that an infield fly? Which one are, are, are you going to give things, me? Thanks, Sean. <laughs> Uh, Well, okay, so let's start with the infield fly situation. By rule, in order for a ball to be an infield uh, infield fly, the infield fly rule specifically prohibits a bunted baseball from being considered an infield fly. It specifically prohibits it. So a bunted ball can never be an infield fly. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, fine. Throw that argument out the door then.
1: Yeah. Yep, so it can't be an infield fly. Um, But we have a second rule, as you mentioned there, and that is the intentionally drop ball. And this rule is the same at all levels too. OBR, NCAA, NFHS rules are all the same uh, with this rule. Anytime we have a force play on the bases. So anytime we have a runner on first base, right? Anytime we have a runner on first base, the defense is not allowed to intentionally drop a baseball. Well, he intentionally dropped it, right, Sean? He just let it fall right in front of him. Exactly. Does you agree? Exactly. Oh, but there's another part of that rule though. What does it mean to intentionally drop a baseball? It's not exactly what you think it means when you hear that when you hear those words. So there is a definition for it. In order to have a, a baseball that's intentionally dropped, it has to be touched by the fielder. So if a fielder allows a baseball to fall untouched, that is completely legal. They are assuming the responsibility and the liability at that point in time. If they guide the baseball to the ground, if they let the baseball bounce off their chest, if they touch it with their hand on the way down and allow the ball to be intentionally, to intentionally drop, then we have a problem. If it goes in their glove and they open their glove immediately, we have an intentionally dropped ball. This is the this is where that, that rule falls into place. So to your to your original example, Sean, we have runners on first and second. We're going to try to bunt these guys over. Um, the, we don't have a very good bunt. The bunt pops up. The pitcher allows the ball to fall right in front of him, picks the ball up and throws the third base for an out. Right. We don't have an infill fly because we don't have because we have a bunted baseball if it was a swung bait if he swung at it and it popped up that's a different story but we have a bunted baseball that goes up he allows it to fall directly in front of him doesn't touch it prior to it touching the ground that's legal 100 percent legal um that's really not the one where we see the to drop ball the most we see it most of the time with the line drive to the shortstop or the second baseman with a runner on first base and they think they're going to get a quick, cheap double play out of it. Um, and so they intentionally drop it and let it – and let it, uh, and then turn the double play. At that point in time, we'd call timeout and say that's an intentionally dropped ball. The penalty for an intentionally dropped ball is what, Sean? Time. You know? Time. Batter is out. Yep, we're going to call the batter out. And we're going to send everybody else uh, back to the to the base they occupied legally occupied at the time of the pitch. So that's what we're going to do with the intentionally dropped ball. Now, the reason why that rule and the infield fly rule um, are, are somewhat connected is because both rules have the intention of protecting base runners um, in situations where an easy double play is, is possible if, it, if we were to allow the defense to do a lot of other things. Um, so they're not allowed to intentionally drop uh, any batted baseball with a, with a force play uh, situation on the bases.
0: Very good. So coaches out there, you do want to teach your players in certain situations, certain players to allow the ball to drop. But if those players intentionally touch the ball, that's the illegal act. All right, here's another fun one. Umpires hear it all the time. We'll we'll say here ground ball to shortstop, shortstop throws it to first base, and we hear one sound the ball hitting the glove, the foot hitting the the rubber base at the same time. We have a tie. The tie goes to who, Andrew? Who does the tie goes go the, to? Goes to the umpire,
1: I think. <laughs> well, that's not well that's not what the rule says. What does well the rule says something specific and What? Right? There's a rule for this? There's a rule for everything turns out. Well, there's not a rule for everything, but you know what? We're not going to talk about the moose coming on the field in Alaska. Um, <laughs> there is a rule for this. Okay. Now, what's, what does the rule say, though? The rule says that in order to be safe at first base, the runner must attain first base prior to the fielder tagging the base with the baseball. Huh. So what does that mean, then? If we think about that, the runner be safe has to be the what the tag oh so if we actually have an actual physical tie which by the way Sean you and I both know is nearly well it is physically impossible but in in uh, you know in like the real world it happens right we, we say things are ties that aren't actually ties if we have an actual tie that we judge to be a tie the batter's out right the mm-hmm. batter's out at first base, because they they failed to reach first base prior to the fielder tagging the the bag with the baseball, with firm and secure possession of the baseball.
0: Another myth of baseball busted.
1: All right, here's the. Well, go ahead. Here's the other one, though, Sean. What if we have a What if we have a tag play at the base, though? What if we have a, a play where it's not a force out at first base? We've got a, a runner diving back into first base. And we have a fielder who catches the, a pickoff throw and tags the runner. And it's a tie back into first base. What does the rule say there? Any idea? Any thoughts?
0: I'm the coach right now. I, I haven't been in the rule book for quite some time.
1: Huh. Well, turns out that the rule defines what it is to tag a runner out. And that means you have to tag a runner while the runner is not on the base. So if it's actually a tie going back into the base on a tag play, uh, on a non-force out tag play, then we have ourselves a safe call, which is somewhat difficult for us to comprehend, right? The runner must beat the ball to first base, um, must beat the tag at first base uh, on a force play but on a tag play, um, they have to. Uh, it's, it's actually a safe situation, and the the defense is required to tag the runner while they're, they're off the base. So, the only time that changes, Sean, is if uh, is if we have a tag play on a force play, a tag on a force play, and that's just a fun thing. Yeah, that's just a fun whole fun situation. A lot of things going on there.
0: Baseball's a beautiful game. Half the time mm-hmm. for the offense, half the time for the defense. Mm-hmm.
1: Another situ- Sometimes you just got umpire yeah. Sometimes you just got umpire
0: <laughs> Another situation that we we hear a lot uh, Is the is term Or the myth of one Plus one So here's the play Runner on first base Ground ball to the shortstop But this runner on first base was stealing on the pitch They're going to try to turn two And the umpire goes safe At second base And then the throw goes over the first baseman and into the dugout out of play so the umpire gives two bases one plus one i think all right and that runner on first is going to score and that batter runner is going to second base whoa andrew one plus one how did the runner that started at first score what's the miss what am i missing
1: this is fun. This is lots of fun, Sean. Well, there's a few things here. Base awards are one of the most misunderstood things in all of baseball. So you hear one plus one a lot, and then you hear, um, and the, what they mean by that is that's the base of the runner's going to plus one. And actually, the one where I think we, we see it the most often is a pick pickup with a runner on first base, you got to pick off to first base that goes out of play. Well, he's diving back to first base, so that's the base he's going to, plus one. So we're gonna give him second base. Right? Well, even if it's a step, even if he steps off and and throws the ball over there, we're gonna give him second base. Well, actually it turns out base awards are the same at every level of baseball. We award for runners for for balls that go out of play, we award one base for every ball thrown out of play. by a pitcher so a pitched ball or a, paw, a ball thrown out a play by a pitcher um, so that means a pitcher makes a pickoff play from the rubber meaning it's a jump turn a straight turn to thir- a straight throw to third base um, you know any any type of play without diseng- legally disengaging the runner um, and that ball goes out of play we award everybody on the baseball field one base from the time of that throw okay or the time of the pitch if it's a pitch ball that bounces off the sh- the catcher and goes into the dugout one base time of pitch we award on every thrown ball we award two bases on every thrown ball that goes out of the play always the only thing we have to think about now is whether that thrown ball we're gonna we're gonna award that from the time of the pitch or from the time of the throw. So, if we have a thrown ball and it's the first play made by an infielder. We have a thrown ball and it's the first play made, made by an infielder. This is the only time we're going to do this. We're going to award two bases to everybody on the baseball field from the time of the thro- of the pitch. So, runners on first and second, We got guys stealing, right? The shortstop, uh, ground ball at the shortstop, shortstop feels the ball. The runner from first has already gotten a second base. The shortstop gets up and launches the ball over the first baseman's head into the stands. We're going to award two bases from the time of the pitch, meaning the runner from second base is going to score. The runner from the first base is going to get third base, and the battle runner is going to get second. You on board with me here so far?
0: I, I'm following. I, I'm following you absolutely. Okay,
1: okay. So the only time that we're going to give two bases from the time of the pitch is when it is a first play by an infielder. Any other situation, whether it be a play by an outfielder, any throw by an outfielder, if it's not the first play by an infielder, those two situations. We are going to award two bases from the time of the throw. So, in the situation that you gave earlier, where they attempted to get the guy out at second base but didn't get him out, that's an attempted play. Would you? Are you with me on that? You agree?
0: I'm. I'm starting to understand it. I'm starting. Okay.
1: to. Yeah. So that's not the first play by an infielder anymore. Now that second Mason wheels and throws the ball out of play, right? Not the not not the first play by an infielder anymore. Now we're going to work two bases from the time of the throw. And the time of the throw is when the ball leaves the, the, the player's hands, the thrower's hand, okay? So it's not when the ball crosses the fence fence line. It's not when it rolls into the dugout. It's when it leaves the player's hand. Um, so we're going to work two bases from the time of the throw. There is one caveat, and I forgot to mention this, Sean, when we talked about two bases from the time, time of the pitch uh, on the first play by an infielder. Is that if it is the first play by an infielder, but, 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 but everybody, including the batter runner, has advanced a base, then we are going to take that from the time of the throw. The situation where that's going to apply is going to be like a, a shortstop kind of booting the ball in front of him. So we have a, a runner on first base, and we have. Um, a ground ball to the shortstop. It eats him up a little bit, bounces in front of him a bit and he, he's going to pick it up. Um and the, the battle runner has already crossed first base, but he thought maybe the ball went to the outfield. So he makes a turn to go to second base. And they're gonna try to throw behind him at first base. Even though that's the first play by an infielder, everybody including the battle runner is advanced to base already. So we're gonna take that one from the time of the throw. that makes sense?
0: Makes perfect so sense.
1: we're gonna so we're going to so score the runner that was on first who was on second when the, th- when the throw was made. We're going to score him, and we're going to put the batter on our third base at that point in time because it's from the time of the throw. So the only time we're going we're gonna to advance people two bases from the time of the pitch is when it's the first play by an infielder, and not everybody is advanced one base.
0: Very good. So the myth of one plus one, throw it out. Two, ba- yeah, but two base two awards.
1: Bases. Two base awards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, two bases, two base awards. And you're going to hear one plus one. You'd be amazed at how many college baseball coaches don't know base award rules. So it, it's something you just need to make sure you say, hey, one plus one is not the rule. It's two bases from the time of the pitch or the time of the throw. And let's make sure we know our terminology and the rule. Excellent. So here I am.
0: I'm getting ready for the 2023 Season coaching the twelve-year-old team, and love my son S.J. hits the ball, runs super hard. A good seventy is what we call it here um, at, at that age at, at that age level. He beats it out, so he mm-hmm. legally beat the ball to the base.
1: And he must he must run like his mom and not like his dad. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yep, run, yeah.
0: runs with the wind, baby. Mm-hmm. And you know. SJ's SJ. You know, he likes to go against, against the envelope sometimes. So instead of going back to first base in foul territory, he comes back to first base in fair territory. And the, they apply a tag because he came back into fair territory. He's out. The base runner must come back in foul territory, Andrew. Isn't that, isn't that the rule?
1: Let's just even take it a step further. Let's say he can't turn to his left, right? Can't turn to his left. He's got to turn to his right when he gets past first base. Well, that's actually not what the rule says. So in order for us to umpire this rule, we have to umpire whether or not the rule says a runner may run past first, about a runner may uh, overrun first base. And as long as they're not making attempts to advance to second base, they remain without liability to be put out so what is an attempt that's that's what we got to think about an attempt is literally we have to we have to judge a little bit of an intent we have to read do our put our mind reader hat on get the tarot cards out and read some poems in this situation that's not true but we do have to judge a little bit of their intent and what they're attempting to do so if they make a sharp step towards second base um that's that's an attempt right if they look they turn around, they're like, oh, that ball got away, uh, make it, make a sharp jab step towards second base, and like, oh, nope, and they play Joe Cool trying to walk back to the base. They're not without liability to be put out at that point in time. Um, if they just simply overrun first base and turn to the left and come right back to first base, and in your judgment, there was no attempt to, to advance to second base, we got nothing. Um, there is a way that we miss this a lot as first base umpires because we don't stay focused on the runner long enough. If we call the guy safe at first base, we need to make sure we keep our focus on the runner um, and what they do after they, after they go, go past first base. Cause sometimes these teams will try to deke us into calling them out and they're like, go tag him, go tag him, go tag him. And they'll tag him. And I've seen umpires that have, have fallen for that trap and called the guy out without, without really strong knowledge of what actually happened. So um, you got to make sure you know, know the, whole, the whole thing. The whole thing, see the whole play, uh, and, and umpire that from start to finish, the whole way through the base. So but at the end of the day, if they make an attempt to advance to second base, they are now no longer protected to go back to first base.
0: So umpires out there, don't call everything you see, but you have to see everything you call. Uh, next one, a myth of baseball. We, we hear this whether it's a, a play at the plate and they're not f- uh, forced to advance home. So runner on second base, base hit to the outfield, and the coach is sending them home. Or we have bases loaded. And no matter what base the, the infielders throw to, home, third, second, first, In either case, the runner doesn't slide. The runner doesn't slide, and the result of the play, the umpire goes safe. Boom, here comes a coach. Andrew, Andrew, it's mandatory that they slide. They have to slide. They are forced to slide. How is that runner not out?
1: Well, this is is a rule... that is so, so misunderstood (laughs) at at a lot of levels of baseball. And the reason it's misunderstood, and I'm going to, I'm going to actually, I'm going to go to bat for some coaches here. It's misunderstood because there are a lot of leagues that implement what we call house rules. Right, Sean, Mm -hmm. especially at the lower levels. Um, you know, when we get to, you know, seven and eight year olds, five, six, seven year olds, whatever it is, they, um, have what are called house rules, and they may require runners to slide um, in order to not be ruled out, but OBR, National Federation rules, and NCAA rules do not require a runner to slide ever at any base. Does that sound crazy to you? Sounds a little bit crazy, doesn't it? They don't ever require a runner to slide. Um, what they do is give runners ways that they can always be safe. Right? So let's start with the play at home plate. There's a lot of different parts of this of this play that, and this is this is let's let's start with a, a play at home plate where there isn't a force play. Okay. Runner on third base, we have a passed ball. Catcher goes back to get the pass ball, flips the ball to the pitcher, and he's attempting to, to tag the runner coming home and the runner coming home does not slide okay the runner is not required to slide coming into home plate what the runner is required to do is make an attempt to avoid contact right so if the runner is not going to slide they must make an attempt to avoid contact they also can never be ever 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 be guilty of what's called malicious contact so malicious contact at uh, it's then that's defined at the federation and at the uh, at the NCAA level. There's no like real rule for it in in, in OBR, but a lot of the um, the leagues that use OBR's OBR's rules uh, put in a place for a malicious contact rule, and it's it's pretty much the same at every single level. You cannot make um, contact with the intent to harm, hurt, or injure um, another player. Um, so that's, that is pretty simple. Um, so if it's malicious contact at any level, right, you can just go ahead and say, timeout. that's malicious contact and that runner is out. Okay. The runner must attempt to avoid contact. So they can't just run over the pitcher, whether it be malicious or not, they can't just run over the pitcher. They could be guilty of interference at that point in time. Right. So they have a couple of options. Number one, they can give themselves up. Right. So if they just come in standing up and, and, and allow the tag to happen, that's legal. Or they can slide legally. Right. So if they slide legally, they mean that they're on the ground. Their butt one of their buttocks is on the ground if it's feet first. Feet first means feet feet down, right? One of the buttocks on the ground prior to contact occurring with a fielder. And that that's legal. If it's head first, they just have to be on the ground prior to contact being made. So they can't dive head first into somebody, regardless of where the player's at. Um, they can't slide feet first with their spikes up, and they have to be on the ground prior to contact being made. So no flying karate kicks going on here um, into the into the fielder. Or the other situation is, let's say the, the runner actually beats the plate to the home plate, right? They run through home plate prior to the tag happening. That's legal as long as there's no uh, malicious contact. And they don't interfere with uh, intentionally with the with the player making a play on them. Does that make sense for you? With no with no with no force play, we're not required to slide. We're just required to avoid contact, slide legally, or give yourself up.
0: That's now, what
1: you're required to do. Yeah, simple as that. And, and I wrote, now,
0: go ahead. I, I wrote down here, coaches listening to this, uh, players, if you're following us on the podcast, thank you, and, and hopefully this helps clear it up. Coaches, when in doubt. Teach your players to legally slide when in doubt. However, know that they could attempt to avoid contact, change the route, go around the catcher, or completely avoid all contact whatsoever. Um, So, when in doubt, legally slide. But, next step, attempt to avoid that contact as a runner. Because you got to understand the fielder, their focus is on the baseball, they cannot protect themselves. The runner, they're focusing on home plate. They're focusing on that base they're going to. They're able to change their direction to avoid injury for player safety of both players involved. Attempt to avoid contact or legally slide.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, there's there's a whole other whole other uh, you know bag of worms to open, uh, can of worms can of worms to open uh, when it comes to dealing with obstruction in these situations. Um, and, and we can deal with that at another time. That can get pretty in-depth. But coaches and players, make sure we're not blocking home plate without the baseball. That's the easiest way to do it. Let's not block home plate without the baseball. Uh, most of the time, these situations, the one that I just described with a pitcher covering, they're not going to block home plate because they're, they're diving for the front corner of that plate too. Um, so we talked about when there's not a force play involved. When there's a force play involved, the rule does change and it changes at all three levels. Okay. Um, I'll I'll get to the OBR rule in a little bit um, because I think that a lot of the youth leagues that utilize OBR rules have adopted a uh, force play slide rule. Sean, would you agree with that? Absolutely. That's That's more similar to the high school rule or the college rule. Would you say that they're probably, probably more similar to the high school rule? Would that be correct?
0: Yep. Straight to. Okay.
1: Straight to Okay, so anytime we have a, uh, let's talk about the federation rule first. If you can imagine a horse, let's just say this, a runner who's who is sliding into a play, into a base in which a force play is being made on him must slide, if they choose to slide, in a direct line between first and second base or second and third or third and home, wherever that force play is occurring, they must slide in a direct line uh, into that base, directly into the base, legally. They can't slide in the direction of the fielder, right? They can't peel off in the direction of the fielder. Are they allowed to go in standing up, Sean? Yeah. That's a that's a good question. We We've said already, we never require anybody to slide. At any base, we've never required anybody to slide. What we do say, though, is that you're not allowed to interfere or alter the play. Interfere with or alter the play. So if I go into second base standing standing up and I interfere or alter the play at the, in the front end of a double play, I'm guilty of force play slide rule. Okay, so in order to not be guilty of a force play slide rule interference, I have a couple of options. I can always slide legally directly into the base. Always. I can slide in a direction away from the fielder so if the fielder's if the shortstop's clear in the back towards the right field side and I slide away from the fielder um, on, the, on the third base side in a direction away from the fielder, I'm not guilty of the force by side rule. If I peel off away from the fielder, obviously away from the fielder and, and don't interfere, then I'm not guilty of the force by slide rule. But if I, this, this rule is two parts. It's an interference rule and a safety rule. So if I don't have a safety concern, and i don't interfere with the play if as long as i peel off away as long as they don't slide in the direction of the fielder right i'm pretty good a couple other things you can't do in high school baseball you can't pop up and make contact on top of the base so if i pop up on on top of second base i can't make contact or interfere i can't slide through second base in high school baseball and make contact um, so if i overslide in a direct line between first and second i overslide second base and I make contact on the back edge of, on behind second base, the fielder's protected back there, and you'd be guilty of force play slide rule at that point in time. With force play slide rule, the penalty for that rule is always the runner um, who's guilty of the rule is out, and the batter runner is out as well. Does that make sense, Sean? It
0: makes perfect sense. And um, umpires, if you're in a tough situation with a coach and you just can't quite the, get them to grasp this force play slide rule, it, this is what I would always fall back on. Hey, coach, this is a player safety rule. I'm going to protect your fielders exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. We got to protect the fielders.
1: The easiest thing is, is if you want, if you never want to be guilty of forced play side rule, you can slide di- directly into the base and never be guilty of forced play slide rule interference.
0: Never. All right. So mandatory slide myth busted. We're down to myth number 10 that we're going to cover today. And this is during a rundown. Runners must remain in the baseline all the time. And, man, if, I, if I'm a coach, defensive coach especially, when I see that runner leaves the baseline, I'm running out there and I'm saying, they left the baseline, they left the baseline. That's an automatic out. They're out.
1: They're out. Andrew, what
0: <laughs> is the baseline?
1: Sean? This brings back memories. I thought it would. <laughs> yeah, this brings back some memories. Um, and I'll let you tell that story in a second, but because uh, you tell it better than I do. Um, <clears throat> so the answer to the question, the runner must be in the baseline. That is absolutely 100. percent am not true. What is that? What does it mean, though? Like, what is being in out? Uh, now, a runner is can be out for being out of the baseline. So you're like that those those two things they don't make sense to me those conflict. What what are we talking about here? Well, the runner is out for being out of the baseline when they run more than 3 feet from a direct from a direct line from where they're at and the base they are attempting to reach when a player is attempting to make a tag. And that's the key right there. So if a player is attempting to make a tag wherever that runner is, that runner is required to not leave a three foot area to the left or to the right, right? No, not more than three feet to the left and not more than three feet to the right, then where they are in a direct line to that base from when the the player is attempting to make a tag. That's what establishes the baseline. Where the player is, the base they're attempting to go to, and when the when the when the defender is attempting to make a tag. If there's no tag attempt, then there's no baseline. Where we see this a lot, Sean, is in a rundown, right? The runner is running to second base. They get caught in a rundown. run to second base. They turn and go back to first base. And they make a little bit of a wide turn because we don't run on a – we're not on train tracks, right? So we're when we take a left turn, we take a left turn. I might end up a little bit on the grass. You know what? And they throw the ball to first base. I turn back. And this time I turn to my right and I end up a little bit further on the grass. And I'm more than three feet in a direct line between first and second base. That doesn't matter yet. Right. We all have number one. We don't have a tag attempt. So runners are allowed to, to create whatever baseline they they so choose um, in, a, in a legitimate attempt to advance to the next base. Right. Um, so once the tag attempt is made, if I if I run more than three feet, which umpires that are listening, what we typically use as, as a guideline for that. A step and a reach is, tip, is a typical guideline. If they've gone more than a step and a reach from a fielder that's attempting to tag them, that most of the time that's three feet. Um, that's just a, a, a cue for you, to, a, a mental and, and visual cue for you to, to help you judge these situations. Um, but the big thing is is that they can't run more than three feet to the left or the right in order to avoid a tag. If we don't have a tag, we don't have out of the baseline. Um, so that's, that's the biggest thing. So we can have rundowns that end up a few feet, you know, into into the infield grass. You can have a run rundowns that can end up sometimes, you know, depending on where we started, and what's going on. We can, if we round in second base and we're trying to go to third, and we end up in a rundown. Dude, that rundown can end up almost on the outfield grass, depending on how wide of a turn I took. It just we can't go more than three feet from where we're at in a direct line to the base we're attempting to to advance to um, when they're attempting to make an attack. If they're not attempting to make the tag, we don't have that three-feet guide yet. Make sense?
0: Makes total sense. And, and umpires, if you run into coaches that either don't understand the concept or aren't under believing what you're saying about there is no baseline until there is a tag attempt, and it just so happens the coach's behavior awards them to leave the ballpark for the remainder of the game, you know, challenge those coaches to go to a rule book, to go to some type of – educational material, and look up the rule. And if we're wrong as an umpire, let us know. And if you're right as an umpire, the coach, you know, hopefully they're humble enough to come up, come up to you and, and apologize and say, thank you for making me allow some time to go read the rule book. With, with that being said, Andrew, it, we just spent this, this podcast of myth-busting of 10 plays that we see in baseball all the time. And if umpires understand the rules, it still doesn't settle the situation. So what do you think there's a need for some type of book, some type of publishment of the rules of baseball? So umpires could use it for specific case plays. Yeah, we have the rule book, but, man, we talked about three different plays on on each myth. What's your thoughts of having some type of book out there of case plays – to back up these rules.
1: Well, hopefully hopefully that's going to be out pretty soon and you know, there might be somebody that you know that that might be authoring something like that. Um so that's actually in something I've been working on for the last 3 years, putting rules into easy to understand everyday language, uh, breaking it down with some case plays and some things like that. So, um we're we're really trying to I'm trying to get that uh you know to a point where it's able to be published and, and put out into the world starting with ncaa rules and then you know moving on to federation and obr at some point in time uh, down the road but the biggest thing is is we want to make sure that we give uh give umpires an opportunity to to study them in a way that makes sense and hopefully coaches can uh, utilize that that book the same way and, and utilize it as a study guide as it's intended on how to how to really improve ourselves and what the rules are uh, but yeah so that's something i've been working on hopefully that uh that, publish, that publishing uh, goal will be met this summer, um, over the summertime, and, and be ready for next season. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's, I'm, re- I'm really excited about that opportunity and really excited about uh, hopefully helping some folks out along the way. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, studying the rules is hard because there are so many extraneous situations. We just have to make sure we sit down and break it into language that, that makes sense to us and have philosophies that allow us to, to put those rules into place and have verbiage and words that we use that fall within the rule book and that, that are easy to understand so we can explain it to other, other stakeholders in the game, including coaches, administrators, players, and spectators. The biggest thing is we, we all have to be on the same page. Uh, when we don't have a common understanding, that's when we end up with a lot of uh, conflict, and that conflict can be avoided if we just really work hard to make sure that we're all on the same page.
0: Well, Andrew, we appreciate you taking time out with PSOA today. And when that book does come to uh, tuition, please reach out to us. Uh, We'll do everything we can here within the podcast to promote it, to get it out there to umpires, to fans, to players, and to coaches. Um, So thank you, the listeners at home, listeners in the car, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thank you for taking time out with PSOA today. Follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Again, as this podcast uh, transcribes and continues, we're going to be using our YouTube channel to show video of plays that we discussed today. Please keep on checking back. And until the next time out with PSOA, sports officials, remember, you're only as good as your last call. A Heard at Sports Network production.